You're listening to The Drew Marshall Show on Joy 1250. I realize the way your eyes deceived me. Folks, I know many of you will remember this song. Have a little listen and flashback with Paper Roses, Marie Osmond. So Maybe you've seen her recently on Dancing with the Stars, or maybe you've been to Las Vegas and caught the Donnie and Marie show. Of course, as a member of one of entertainment's most famous families, Marie Osmond has been in the spotlight since she was a wee young girl at the age of three, even. In her new book, Might As Well Laugh About It Now, Marie shares her thoughts on the many milestones and missteps, both public and personal, although I don't know how Marie has any personal life these days. All these incidents have made up her life, and Marie recounts some of the key moments, moments that helped shape her view of family, career, self-image, parenting, and marriage. The website is marieosmond.com, and Marie joins us here on the Drew Marshall Show today. Marie, thank you for your time. Hey, Drew, how are you? No, the bigger question is, how are you? I'm good. Good. I'm glad, well, I'm glad you're good. Thank you, thank you for joining us for our Mother's Day special. I think really we should have introduced you as the the world's most renowned marimba player, uh, the one and only, the one and only uh, Olive Osmond. I think that should be a secondary career for you, a pseudonym, Olive Osmond. That'd be a beautiful thing. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, come on, you know, White Christmas for mallets. <laughs> <laughs> well, everybody knows you. Everybody knows you uh, from the whole Dancing with the Stars thing, and I'm sure people want to ask you about your fainting spell or your elimination round or how how unfair it was that you, Jane Seymour, Wayne Newton, you, you guys were all sponsored by Geritol pretty much, weren't you? You know, you're really funny, Drew. <laughs> no, you know what? It, to me, the, the show wasn't – it was so funny because when when I did the show – you know, I def- definitely we were the older ones, but hey, we kept up with those little twenty-year-old twerps. Oh, you, know? you did! Come on, you did! You did! You <laughs> like bring it, girlfriend. I heard you say it a few times. But the thing I want to know from you though is, what was it like being a giant Oompa Loompa for I don't know how many weeks? Orange for forever? Oh, are you talking about the spray tan? Yeah, that's just <laughs> that's scary. Oh, you did read the book, Drew. I'm impressed. <laughs> No, I just, you know, the way I describe things, it was um, it was a wonderful experience. I mean, the, the skin is still growing back on my feet, but um, it was it was fun, very challenging. I think a lot of it, too, though, with everything that was going on in my life in, in other areas, I think that the, uh, the adrenaline and, and the focus on the dancing, I think somehow kind of helped me through it, too. So. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, I, I hit my head so hard when I passed out, I won, right? <laughs> <laughs> I, gotta, I have to share my own, uh, my own Oompa Loompa story, if you don't mind. Now, you know, an Oompa Loompa was purple. It wasn't orange. Just oh, that's right. That. They were purple. 
Look at the wrong color. Oh, man. Well, okay, here, here's my story anyway. that you were colorblind, so <laughs> yes, you know. Thank you, I was. Oh, man. Okay, so I'm in Australia. I used to live there. I was there for five years. And my last week there, I spent the entire week on the beach. Every day, every evening. It was just fantastic. But I knew that the 22-hour flight back home, I was going to have dry, itchy skin. So I asked the pharmacist to give me the best moisturizer possible. I don't care how much it costs. I slathered that stuff all over my body, had a good sleep, woke up in the morning, had a shower, looked in the mirror, and I was a carrot from head to toe. He gave me that tanning stuff, the self-tanning stuff. It was brutal. Brutal. And and I bet you streaked it, too, didn't you? Oh, it was like I – it looked like I smoked with my toes, okay? (laughs) I had orange eyebrows and everything. especially if you don't know that it's not tanning stuff, you don't put it on right and so i'm sure you had just little carrot streaks all over you. yes i did and let's move on from that shall we no i'd like to share this moment oh with yeah you, really. i think i think the the best thing that gave me an indicator of what kind of a nut you really are was dancing with the starved seriously <laughs> no kidding if you, folks, if you've never seen these videos you got to go to youtube and just type in dancing with the starved and you will get the most ridiculous chuckle well, what, out of these things. what happened, I mean, it was so funny. We were all sitting in hair and makeup. And, you know, the guys come in and they, they do them standing and then they run out because they don't, they just put bass on. But the ladies, you know, they spend like an hour on each of us. And uh, we, we were all sitting there, you know, um, Jane, myself, and, and, and uh, Mel B, and Sabrina. And everybody was laughing because I was the first celebrity Barbie doll, you know. Mm. And, and, um, I think it was Sabrina was the next one. And she goes, well, you know, I was a Barbie doll, too. And, and Melville goes, well, yeah, well, I was the next one. My, my legs bent, though, Marie. <laughs> and, and, and then Sabrina goes, well, mine had a voice box. And then Jane says, well, mine was porcelain. And we just started busting again. And I said, that's it. So I went and I started writing these spots. I said, you guys have to do this for me. And so um, I made them pre-record their voices. And I put together, um, like you said, a YouTube spot called Dancing with the Starved. The one you're thinking of, too, is the second one was Girls' Night Ouch. And um, I had done Dancing with the Star first, which was me doing my Barbie doll. And they were all laughing about it, and I, so I wrote the second spot. And then they all did, I got their Barbie dolls and did a spot with them, too. So, I mean, it was just, I had fun on the show. Everybody was so competitive, and I said, guys, this is a television show. You know, we got to have some fun here. <laughs> Well, it was hilarious stuff. You have a brilliant sense of humor. And look, speaking of uh, of the starved, you look marvelous, my darling. Absolutely <laughs> tremendous. And I don't want to make too much of a deal out of this because I can imagine, you know, you're, in the back of your head there would be the, this thing going. I, I keep thinking, what did I look like? Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, you look you look great. Let's move on. You're, you're very sweet. You know what? I, I I'm just really at peace in my life, and I'm... Uh, you know, I did it for the right reasons, not for the wrong ones. I think too many times, in especially in my industry, you know, everybody's about looking like Twiggy and, and being as thin <laughs> as they possibly can. And, and to me, it's about being healthy. And not just not just physically, but I'm talking emotionally, you know, and, and spiritually and everything else. You just have to, you know, I'm at a place in my life where I'm, I'm very much at peace. And, uh, and I, think that, I think that's your inner show. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think if you're a happy person inside... It shows on the outside, and so I'm, I'm very flattered. I, you know, people say you look great. Well, and, and I'm, I'm happy <laughs> that they think that, but I feel good, and that's what's important. Good, you know? good. Well, this book that you've got here might as well laugh about it now. I mean, one of my favorite chapters in your book was a Poseidon adventure on the love boat, and and personally. <laughs> 
<laughs> Personally, Marie, after turning down the role of Sandy in Greece, I think that this was the career move that sent you to a whole new level. I think so. The love boat did that to most people. <laughs> <laughs> Isaac, Gopher, Julie, Doc, and 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 Marie. I, I had many. I had lots of different ways and versions of writing it. One of them was, yes, okay, fine, I'll tell you. I did the love boat. No. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't just a normal episode either. I mean, the, the love boat was on tour, and you had the uh, scenario with Ernest Borgnine and Shelley Winters. You got to tell right, our listeners the Shelley Winters. Winters story. What a phenomenal little story that was, especially well, on this then Mother's they, Day. Then they wouldn't buy the book. Well. <laughs> Come on, please. Just a teaser. No, do you know? Well, you know, there were there's lots and lots of chapters that I didn't see in this book. I mean, it, really, what it was mostly is which one should we pick? Uh, Marcia, who is my co-author, I said, which one should we put in? Because I wanted to put in in, in stories that I felt uh, some of those ones that were real pivotal for me. And mm. you know, I had just come off the Donnie and Marie shows, and they were dubbed into 17 languages. And at that particular time, you know, I had a lot of areas that I I wanted to pursue as far as my, my career was concerned and professionally. And that particular incident with Shelley Winters really, really kept me on track as a 22-year-old woman, you know, to say, oh, I see what's really important in life. Yeah. And, I mean, here was a woman who had everything. I mean, Drew, she, she and I, I explained it in, in this chapter how she had, uh, you know, every award that the industry could give her. And in her heyday, she was considered, you know, one of the sirens of, of our industry. And, and when she came in to see me when I was in uh, Venice, and she came to the hotel room, uh, you know, she, she said that, too. She says, I had everything. And then she said, I have a daughter. And uh, I said, I didn't know that, Shelley. And, uh, you know, to kind of backtrack the story, she was making fun of me because uh, a few days before I was in Rome and I had bought a christening dress and I, I was uh, getting ready to be married and, you know, said how I wanted to have children like my mother and everything else. And... And basically, she, she put all that stuff aside and didn't give her, her daughter the time that she needed. And, uh, and as you'll read in the chapter, it was really life-changing to hear what she had to say about it and, and kept me on track and focused, and here I am with eight kids, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, you know, you think that uh, the illusions of the world that are out there, and you, and you say, boy, by the time you're her age and at that place in her life, uh, some of the mistakes that she made and some of her choices that, uh, that she was really, really sorry about. Well, it was a very, very moving excerpt from the book. And, and, of course, with Mother's Day tomorrow, though, I mean, that chapter, that, yeah, that story. that was a great chapter to read. Oh. You know, and, and also, too, I put that in there for young girls who, you know, lots of times uh, our focus is, you know, I've got to get my career going, I've got to get my career going. And then you, you sometimes put on hold the most important aspect of your whole life. Hmm. And that is what our children teach us, you know. Uh, how did your mother and Elvis become such good friends, please? Uh, you know, everybody has their Elvis story, but I mean, I I think we had the real Elvis story because he would call her all the time. She was like his second mother. And, you know, Elvis lost his mom when he was, what, about 22, somewhere around there. And if you look at, at Gladys's picture and my mother, um, I mean, they, they look so similar, they could have been sisters. But he loved to call her. He called her all the time. We'd go, you know, we'd come here to Vegas. I'm in Vegas right now. I'm living here. And, um, you know, we'd have these these flower arrangements and welcome back. And then you'd see this giant, you know, giganto flower arrangement. <laughs> and it was always to my mother from Elvis. But he would spend hours and hours talking to her and getting advice. Um, he loved her. I'm sorry. I keep thinking about that Love Boat chapter. And I actually, uh, I called up an old friend of yours yesterday just to get a little dirt on you. 
Oh, good. Yeah, well, I didn't come up with much. It was, it was pretty squeaky clean. <laughs> well, Captain Stuving, Gavin McLeod, I, I chatted yesterday. Oh, he's, I love him. Well, he loves you. He told me to pass on his love. He was just gushing over you. As a matter of fact, he has a picture of you in his office from the time you guys were taping in Monaco, I think. Right. So, and As a matter of fact, in, in the book, I start each chapter because it's a standalone book. You don't have to start at the beginning. It is not a, uh, it's not an autobiography. Uh, the book company, my last book I wrote, Behind the Smile, uh, was a New York Times bestseller, and they came to me and said, would you do an autobiography? And I said, no, I'm only half dead. <laughs> and so I, <laughs> that's this book. I, so what this is more, it, it, it's, it's geared towards busy people, busy mothers. You can sit down and it, it's kind of Irma Bombeckish. I loved her. Hmm. I loved her writing, and I loved how she, um, she found humor in everyday challenges in life and, and everything, and, and so that's kind of how this one is. But every chapter has a photo, and I actually have a picture of uh, him and myself starting that chapter. Well, and that's what life. happened. I was uh, reading through the book. I saw the picture. I said, oh, I've got to call Gavin. He said uh, he's in his third month on Nutrisystem, and he's lost 31 pounds thanks to you. He said, if Marie Osmond is doing this, I'm all over it. Good for him. Yeah. Do you know what? I have had so many. We do a meet and greet after every show. Um, here in Vegas, Donnie and myself, and we we decided when we took this this uh, a job here, uh, it's the first time we worked together in 20 years. But we thought, well, we'll spend like a half hour after, and, and those people who'd like to say hi, we can take pictures with them and whatever. I swear, every night three or four people come through, and they say, you know, I've lost 30 pounds, I've lost 40 pounds, I've lost 50 pounds, and uh, they've been doing it on Nutrisystem. And I thought, you know what? Isn't it fantastic? Because Every single one of them say, I feel so much better. And, and that, it, that's so fun. I mean, I think it's great. And it, it works. Well, Gavin also remembers singing to you a song that had the line, Smile, Though Your Heart Is Breaking, during a scene where he played your father, I think. And Oh, my goodness. Yeah. He's got very fond memories of you. Now, hold on. Let's talk about your real father, though. Uh, how long has he been gone for? He, he's been gone about two years. About two years. All right. What do, you, yeah. what do you miss most about him? I'm sure it's not eating monkey brains. You have been reading, haven't you? <laughs> no, you know, um, I, I wanted to write that chapter because I think a lot of people may, you know, he, he had a lot of bad raps and, and he was touted. Even there was a movie the week about our family, how he was kind of this stage father and, you know, very hard and, and pushed us and all this. My father was very tough. You know, he came from military background and, you know, we, we were... Um, we were taught that we delivered and that we had to have integrity and, and, you know, he taught us that we need to be honest and forthright and the handshake meant your word, you know, those types of things. He was a very uh, honorable man. And I wanted to write that because he was very tender, too, and um, just a wonderful father. I was born on his birthday, and I'm his only daughter. You know, my so, daughter was born on my birthday, Marie. Really? Was it induced? Uh, no, no, not at all. <laughs> I wasn't either. But, uh, no, there's, there's a special relationship with a daddy-daughter. And yeah. so, yeah, I miss, my, I miss my dad. You've lost a number of loved ones over the years, and I, I'm just wondering, probably one of the most unfair questions I could ask, but I'm, I'm going to ask it anyway. Who's, whose death has really affected you the most, do you think, Marie? Well, I think, I think initially when, when I lost my mother, uh, that was really hard because, you know, it's, your, it's, it's that mother-daughter relationship. But surprisingly, you know, my brothers all leaned on me when she passed away. I did everything. Uh, you know, I even dressed her and did her hair and, and uh, you know, I planned the, uh, the funeral and uh, did everything. With my, with my dad, I was doing Dancing with the Stars, 
And I think that one hit the hardest because all of a sudden you realize now you're an orphan. Hmm. <laughs> Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. And so, um, and, and you move into that next phase of your life where you, you know, I became the matriarch of the family. And so, you know, your brothers lean on you and everything else. And you just, it's kind of like, wow, who do you go for advice now? Now you just get on your knees and you go upward for advice because that's, that's your source. But, uh, you know, they, they taught me, uh, you know, to be strong and, and uh, you know, I, I love them. I, I think probably you, you think it's your mother, but I think it was my father. We are chatting with Marie Osmond. The book is called Might As Well Laugh About It Now. If you're going to laugh about it in the future, then why not laugh about it now? I mean, that's quite a meaningful statement in your life, really, isn't it? As a matter of fact, I want to know, was that the little saying of yours that you put in the inside of that ridiculous Christmas card you sent out that year of the fire? You put, the, the, Folks, you got to get this. Her house burns down, and on her Christmas card, she puts a picture of her house burning down. <laughs> and then inside, I, had, I, had, I said, uh, you know... Quick, uh, while you can get it, uh, you know the latest, uh, the latest album, and, and in there are song titles like uh, "Heart the Herald Angel Singe," and uh, you know, <laughs> all I want for Christmas is my two front rooms. And <laughs> oh man! Well, you know, you you have to laugh. I mean, I lost everything in that fire. Really, that's how the book happened, um, because I lost over thirty years of journaling. And uh, I, I called Marsha, who was my head writer on Donnie and Marie, and I said, can you help me, you know, just kind of put some of this stuff down and uh, just be, while I still remember it. And um, so we started writing down some of these things, and she sent it off to my book publisher, and that's how the book happened. Well, you have battled with bulimia, postpartum depression, house fire in September 2005, two divorces, a couple of troubled teens like most of us do. You lost your father, mother, grandmother to uh, heart disease, I think. Did all three go with heart issues? All four of them. All f oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah. yeah uh, but, but you know what? Our, God is no respecter of persons. We all go through difficult things. And, uh, you know, I mean, the whole, the whole eating disorder thing happened when, uh, you know, with Donnie and Marie, and, and I write about that in the book, too. Even from the, the time I was 9 and 10, I started getting all kinds of, of things. And, and in my, my first book, I wrote Behind the Smile, where I suffered uh, from postpartum depression. And you know what's interesting? I am so not a depressed person. Hmm. And so when I went through that, it was, it was such an eye-opener for me, because I don't care if it's postpartum depression. Depression is depression is depression. It feels the same. And it's one of those things out there that our nation suffers with, uh, and there are a lot of reasons. It can be uh, nutritional. It can be brought on by many different things. And, and you know, in my childhood, uh, I went through uh, abuse, you know, uh, some sexual abuse uh, that I never wrote about. But that the only reason I wrote about that is because it really lays heavily into severe postpartum depression. And so we all go through things. I mean, life is full of challenges. But, um, you know, the more things you go through, the more hopefully empathy and compassion and understanding you have for other people. And uh, it, it, it's what—it's the hard things that make us who we are, not the good things. Well, you know, I keep thinking about uh, poor old Tom Cruise there. If he had gone through half the stuff that you've gone through, I wonder if he would have been as hard on Brooke Shields as he was. Seriously. Oh, you know, he had—I—I I was the first person to write about postpartum, and then Brooke came out with it. And they asked me, they said, "Well, what did you think of Tom Cruise's advice?" 
And I was like, yeah, well, let, let's see him deliver, you know, an eight-pound, eight-ounce baby and then, you know, have his hormones drop to, to nothing. And then let's see him say that taking vitamins will fix it. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Oh, man. Because he just doesn't have any understanding of what, what you go through. No, no. Uh, which is shocking. Uh, in, in that... Um, <laughs> In that fire, though, the pictures, the Groucho Marx, John Wayne, Lucille Ball pictures, the journals, all gone. But I wonder, how did you cope with the temptation to play the blame game, especially with, I don't know, maybe with Brian, who was napping at the time, or the child who accidentally started the fire? <laughs> no, you, you you just are grateful that no, I was so grateful nobody got hurt. It's it's just stuff. This is the thing, is that we we think that the more we accumulate... Uh, the the more we have on our resume, uh, the more things you know. We don't take any of that with us, and uh, you know it's it's the relationships to me that are the most important. And you know, I mean, um, yeah, it, it was it was um, it was an accident. You know, I'll, I'll tell you though, the thing the thing that I wrote about the most important thing with all of it is I followed my intuition, which was to take my little my youngest daughter with me, and um, and I know in my heart that if I had not followed that intuitive feeling that she would have, those two kids, the one that, that we believe, of course, we don't really know if he did. Yeah, right. But <laughs> he started the fire. Those two were like glue. He never left each other's side. And, and with, uh, you know, my ex-husband napping, I'm sure that that little girl would have been locked in that garage. Yeah. And see, and we had, we had just filled up our, our wave runners. And uh, so basically it was a bomb. It blew off the side of the house. Wow. And so, you know, I'm sure she would have been, because he, he ran out of the garage to go get some water, and he got distracted by some cartoons that were on television. Hmm. So she could have been locked in that room. And, and I, I believe that, because I was, you know, especially how many times I was prompted to take her, and then I finally bought her a ticket. So I was just grateful that I listened to my intuition. Marie, we have uh, yet another thing in common. I, I burned down my garage uh, when I was a young lad. How come that doesn't shock me? Oh, come on. <laughs> the problem was, though, my garage was filled with... I grew up in a funeral home, and so it had the hearse and the limousine and other Cadillac. And, oh, man. Anyway. <laughs> you know, I've never been asked that question my whole life, you know, which death affected me. Now this makes sense. You worked in a funeral home. Yes. Are you sensing a theme here now, are you? Is okay. That... <laughs> I'm starting to get completely. Oh, man. <laughs> Yeah, I, I think about I think you're killing me here. I think about the way you grew up, and I, you know, I'm I, thinking about the way you grew up. <laughs> oh, you are a cheeky monkey. You are. You always seem to have either a mother or a brother or a father around to kind of snap you out of any little hissy fits, uh, and you know, kind of tell you to pull up your socks, right? Even today, you, well, Marie, you you go days without sleep, and I want to know what drives you. What is it? I mean, I can't, I hope you're not sponsored by Red Bull. Seriously. <laughs> no, I don't do those things. You know, I was I was blessed with a very healthy constitution. I swear I was. And and you have to you have to have that if you're going to have eight kids and just know that your sleep's going to get interrupted. Hmm. My goodness, I mean, if, on a daily basis, it's hey, mom, I'm sick, or you know, I need this or that or whatever. Um, but honestly, what what keeps me going? First of all, I you know I'm I'm an exception, not a rule. I'm so I don't know appreciative every single day that people are still interested in Marie Osmond. Uh, you know, I'm going on 45 years of performing now. And um, 
you know, I, I think about that daily. I am so blessed to still be working and to be having fun and, and doing the things that I love. I have a new album that I'm finishing up right now. It's my first inspirational album. And if you come see the show in Vegas, I mean, I, I, uh, I do all kinds of musicalities in it, uh, one of them being opera. You'll hear that on my new album. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I just, I don't know, I love to keep learning things, keep trying things, keep doing things. And I think, above all, I really love people. And um, I, I don't know if it's because I never had a sister or whatever, but I, I look at women's plight right now. You know, it's, what is it, 60% of the homes now uh, are, are, are divorced. Uh, 60%, I should say, of marriages have divorce. Hmm. And you've got 70% of our homes that are single um, parent homes. And I know what that feels like. And I don't know. It's just, even if I'm just a little voice of support or, or um, you know, keep moving forward, that's, that's, you know, thoughts to keep moving you forward. Just keep getting through the day because there's always, there's always a rainbow at the end of it, isn't it? I mean, there's always something good that happens. Oh, for sure. Well, this is a Mother's Day special treat for all of our listeners. Usually I, I do this with guests about other people they've worked with over the years. But today being our Mother's Day special, Marie, it's a bit unfair, but I'd like you to come up with one word to better help us understand each of your children. Okay, you ready? Okay. Okay, Stephen. Hysterical. <laughs> okay. That's obviously, that's genetic. Uh, Jessica. Um, let's see. Jessica, I would say she's very strong. Very strong. Rachel? Um, uh, Rachel, wow. Creative. Michael? Tender. Brandon? <laughs> oh, gosh. Um, he's just my love. He's just a munch. A munch. Okay. Right, write that one down. <laughs> M-U. Okay. Uh, uh, Brianna? Oh, she's, she is... Um, uh, she's, she's my little doll. She's... Let's see, she would be my, what? Wait, what would be a good word for her? She's my coping coping mechanism. She's, she's my mother. She's the mother. Let's say that. Okay, all right. Matthew. Oh, he's just, he is just joy. He's just full of joy. He's happy. And Abigail. Stubborn. <laughs> <laughs> and that's genetic as well. <laughs> She is she is one stubborn little piece of munch, I'll tell you. <laughs> well, five five of those children you adopted. I'm also adopted as well, and I, I, I are you adopted? Yes, I am. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, but here's the thing: Do you think that some kids adapt better to being adopted than others? You know what? I don't I don't believe that there's any mistake in anything. I don't think God does that. Um, I think that um, I think that adoption is something that, that is important that the parents... Sorry, they're laughing next door. Hey, quiet in the next room! <laughs> <laughs> quiet on the set. Um, but I, I think that you just kind of know. It's like my kids that are adopted. Um, we have such a great relationship together, and I think that's something that you have to work at between parent and child. Hmm. I think they also know that I'm not threatened by it, and I think because of it, they're, whole, they're okay with it. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I tell them all the time, I remember once uh, one of my children was saying, you know, why, how, could, how could a birth mother do that to me? And I said, hey, wait a minute. With all the choices that are out there, you need to respect your birth mother for what she did do for you. Hmm. You know, she knew that she couldn't take care of you. And, uh, and I actually recorded a song, uh, and I, I did a, a special doll. I designed dolls. It's called From God's Arms to My Arms to Yours. 
And it's one of the most beautiful songs uh, from the birth mother's standpoint. And it's, uh, you know, so many times uh, how they struggle to make this decision. And, uh, you know, how, uh, it, uh, and she's speaking to uh, the adoptive mother saying, you know, and when this baby skins his knee, will you hold him for me too? And, and love this child and the way that I would if I had this baby in my arms. And it's just one of those songs that you weep when you hear it. But remember, this, this baby, it's from God's arms to my arms to yours. And it's just the most beautiful song. Uh, but I, I did, I recorded that for all of my children. Have you ever wondered what role being adopted might have played in, in uh, Michael's or Jessica's, you know, tough times? Oh, I believe, I believe there's all kinds of, every child is different. And, and I, I don't claim to be an expert, but I think I know quite a bit after five, uh, that there are um, attachment disorders that come with every child. Right. And, you know, one of the things that I think is very fascinating, and I would suggest this to every, every person who puts their baby up for adoption, put that baby in the adoptive parent's arms as quickly as you can. I know there are laws, and sometimes it's two or three days before the adoptive parents can really be with that child. I think that's a disservice to the baby because um, there's too much evidence now and, and things that they've discovered in, in uh psychology and everything else, that there's like a child is born with two plugs. One goes into mom, one goes into dad. And as soon as they can plug that in, their, their, their attachment disorder is um, not as, as strong uh, for them. Yeah. See, I'm not sure whether I should share this or not. Okay, I'll do it anyway. I was visiting my counselor recently, and that's something that we sort of unpackaged a little bit in myself, this attachment disorder. Uh, I was... The time I was uh, born to the time I was adopted was about a month. And, um, wow. Well, I, I, and I don't want to kind of lean on that stuff. I don't want to use it as an excuse and walk around like a, like a walking country song. <laughs> no, but you know what? You don't, you don't need to use that as an excuse because when you understand it, then you can facilitate the healing of it. Yeah, I think so. I know that's true. Yeah. And, but, 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 it, but so have you had uh, difficulty... I, I think that it can even morph into relationships. Yes. Bing, bing, bing. And, uh, and what happens is, is you feel like um, you, it, it's very difficult to trust. Bing, bing, bing. Kind of, I, and you feel isolated. Bing, bing, bing. And, <laughs> like I said, I've, I've studied a lot. Apparently. But, but that, that is something that stems from childhood. And another thing that I have been quoted, and, and I believe this, by saying that we spend the last half of our life fixing what the first half did to us. Yeah. But but the key is not to be afraid of looking at it in a humorous way, too. Goodness, we can beat ourselves up for days over things that we've done. But if we go, my goodness, I'm learning, and I did the best I could in that situation with the amount of information I had at hand. But you're wiser, you're smarter, we get older, and, and you have to give yourself a break in order to heal, you know? You know, I think I would have saved a lot of money if I had just gotten a flight down to Vegas and watched the Donnie and Marie show and then went to the meet and greet afterwards and had my therapy session there. That would have been... Oh, you know, I don't don't profess to know a lot, but, you know, I've been through a lot. And one of the things that I've never been afraid of, Drew, is to learn. You know, so what if I didn't do something right? I don't need to spend my life trying to justify it. I'd rather be educated and move on from it. Okay, well, speaking of doing things right and choices, I've talked with a number of... Celebrities over the years, just recently, Kathy Lee Gifford last week and Christian Chenoweth had a really neat phone call uh, last week with Candace Cameron. She's uh, taping a new sitcom, 
And uh, we, we talked about making choices as a Christian celebrity, all the, especially with all those uh, evangelical eyeballs that come with those choices. And I was wondering, you know, being known as a Mormon celebrity, how have your peeps kind of treated you as a result of a lifetime of celebrity choices, you know, especially the divorce stuff? Well, first of all, I am Christian. I mean, that's what's funny is, is our church, is the nickname of it is Mormon, but we're the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. So we are Christian. But, um, you know, I, I, there, there, there are many levels of Christianity, I think. What my, my level of Christianity is, is to be like our Savior, hopefully, which is non-judgmental and loving. And, I mean, letting, letting people have their agency to choose what they desire and still being a Christian, do you know what I mean? Hmm. And, and um, I guess you could say that there are many you know, levels of, of uh, understanding of my faith. But, first of all, we do not... Uh, label divorce as devastating. I mean, um, I'm not judged because I'm divorced. I think I judge myself because I'm divorced. But but I think a lot of it, too, is I just assumed that everybody was like my dad and my brothers, and that's not the case. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I grew up in a home full of incredible men. So I, I'm not a man-hater or anything else. I mean, I you know, you, you get through life, you do what you do, but... Um, as far as my faith and my church, no, I mean, you know, nobody expects you uh, to stay in a relationship if it's if it's not healthy. Yeah, you know that that's that's just uh, that's unheard of. Well, an old friend of yours told me that you and he went to the movies and a funeral on the same weekend. You went and saw. On Golden Pond, and went to Lee Strasberg's funeral. Does that ring any bells? John Schneider. Yes, good. <laughs> you win the lucky door prize. Uh, but looking back on on how it all ended with Stephen, the BYU basketball player, don't you wish you hadn't been eating tuna fish during that meeting when you and John Schneider came up with the Children's Miracle Network? That just you know, do you ever kind of look back at those decisions? You know, Drew, you're you're really wrong upstairs, aren't you? <laughs> 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 hey, you've done your homework, babe. No, John. John and I—we've been friends forever. He is—he's a wonderful guy. He's just a, a good man. Um, and and we dated even a little bit before that. But you know, we're just—he's we're just really good friends. We're, we've always just—we've uh, loved each other and respected each other for work ethic and everything else. But no, you know, we we both founded Children's Miracle Network together. It's been over 25 years now, helping kids and. And uh, and especially in Canada, well, I tell you, you have some great hospitals there. It's incredible. I mean, fantastic. So we help 17 million kids a year. Pretty cool, huh? Yeah. No, you guys have done a tremendous, a tremendous thing. But again, I, I, you know, I'm just thinking about where you're at. I mean, you're now single. And would you like to remarry? Is there? Should we put the word out? Uh, what, are you dating? What inquiring minds want to know? Hello. Hello. Yeah. <laughs> Lost the connection oh, here. Oh, sorry about that. Well, me. <laughs> <laughs> no, you know what I this is this is my thing on that. Look, the only time I have to date is from one to three in the morning and I can't get anybody to sign a prenup on the first date, so you know <laughs> Oh, my goodness. I want to play a little clip for you. This is something you said a, a long time ago. Listen to the words that came out of your mouth about marriage, all right? Here we go. I'm looking forward to having you on the show because I've watched you, Daryl, and I have watched you and your family for years and admired your work. And you're a very contemporary woman who has a lot of outspoken opinions on things. And I'd like to explore how you feel about subjects that other women have to deal with or are thinking about. First of all, how important is marriage to you? Is this something that, that you would like to do? Well, um, first of all, about a, about a year and a half ago I was engaged. Yeah. And 
There were a lot of things written about that, a lot of things that, uh, uh, tabloid things here and there. Wrote. Oh, we've all had those. And I'm, yeah, I'm sure you have, oh, too. Yes. First of all, it was my decision. I think it's an insult for people to think I have no brain to make my own decisions. I have ever since uh, I started working, right. you know, 14, 15, really involved in the show. It was my decision. Yes, marriage is very important. I think that's the reason why I broke it off, because I planned to be married once. Once. And, um... We had our doubts, and that's the reason why we broke it off. It's a smart thing to do, though, if you Absolutely. do have doubts, and to be brave enough to say, hey, it's... All right. All right. Now, did you hear that okay, Marie? Yes, I heard that. Thank you for sharing. <laughs> wow. Was I young. <laughs> you know what, though? Isn't that the case, though? I mean, you do plan only to be married once. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, with... Um, with my first marriage, uh, my husband to my my first husband Steve, we're very good friends. I mean, we we get along great. To my second marriage, uh, to Brian, um, you know, I tried twenty years on that marriage, and, and so you can't say I didn't give that one a shot. <laughs> but it, it's definitely you know when your when your children start saying things to you, you go, yeah, it's time. It's yeah. time to move on. Yeah. So. Well, I'm I'm proud of you because you are an amazing mother for at least from an outsider's point of view looking in i'm sure there's lots of dirt on you that i could have found but it didn't <laughs> but seriously it seems it seems like you are just an absolutely stellar mother and now that you're a single mom single moms are right up there with you know people like gandhi and mother teresa as far as i'm concerned <laughs> you know it's it's uh it's not easy i have i have a great support system i have wonderful friends uh in my life and i really believe um, that if women would, it's one of the reasons I write these books, is to put us all on the same level. Uh, if we, if we spend less time competing with each other and spend more time completing one another, um, then I think we move in a healthy direction as far as, as motherhood and womanhood. Um, you know, all through my 20s, it's all this com competitiveness and high school and all these things that I see these girls go through. It's so not. Uh, it's why in the book I wrote about intuition and why I wrote about listening to, you know, that voice within you. Because we know as women uh, what's right and what's wrong. And, um, you know, my children, we, we can't make our children be anything. All we can do is try to be a good example for them and do the best we can and let them know uh, that we will fall short, uh, but that our love is eternal. And, um, I mean, my kids know that. They, they've got they've got a crazy mother, you know, and <laughs> yes, I know, yes. <laughs> and and I just I I am so in love with my kids. I I learn from them every day. Well, the word intuition has come up a few times, and I I don't know. I I wonder if you're able to figure out the difference between intuition or God prompts, you know, Holy Spirit kind of stuff. You know, how do you well, decipher I, I between the two? Well, I believe that. I, that's what I believe. I, I do. I believe it's the promptings of the Holy Ghost. But, you know, I, I don't want to force my beliefs on people. Um, but I do know that. I, I mean, if, if you want me to be completely honest, absolutely. The problem we have in the world that we live in now that I see is that, and even in my life, is to be still long enough to hear it. And that's the secret is we're so busy running around. You know, it, it talks about in the last days how people would run to and fro seeking knowledge and learning no wisdom. Wisdom is the proper application of knowledge, and really, um, that knowledge comes from being still long enough to feel the promptings that, that God gives us, I, I believe. Marie, aside from the first time you truly trusted God when you got lost in the woods in Japan playing hide-and-go-seek with your brothers, right? can you recall a more recent experience of completely trusting God? 
Oh, absolutely. I mean, what, do you want something um, like recent, like in the last couple days? Or I mean, the biggest one was stepping out of my marriage, um, especially when, when you get on your knees and God says, you know, move on. And, and you walk into a very dark hole. It's, it's more expensive to leave a marriage than it is to stay stuck. Uh, you know, you have to start over completely. And it's scary. I have three girlfriends right now, Drew, who are stuck in marriage because they financially can't get away. And I see things like that, and I see, uh, you know, the way divorce is and um, attorneys and laws and all these kinds of things, and I just go, man, our country, we really need to rethink this thing, what we're doing uh, to, to people, especially women. It's, it's devastating to them. Uh, and, and be more supportive financially towards single, single moms. You know, they've got a big burden. But, um, you know, I think that's a big one. I, th- I, I think the most recent one for me is holding boundaries with, with my teenagers. And mm-hmm. I think that that's, that's a really hard thing when you don't have a, a, uh, somebody with you who is strong and, and able to, you know, buoy you up. Where else do you go? You go to God for your strength. And, and you know, a lot of times working mothers, um, we feel guilty for working. So we go home and we, we tell our kids, oh, it's okay, you know, I'll cook dinner for you or I'll spoil you or let me buy something for you to compensate for, you know, my feelings of inadequacy for not being around. And all we do is do them a disservice. And, uh, you know, those, those are the hard points, too. It's like the other day I, I wanted to spoil my, my son and say, okay, I'll, I'll make your car payment. But I'm not going to because it doesn't do him any good as, a, as an adult man uh, for somebody to come in and save him because we can't. We have to save ourselves. We have to learn uh, the discipline of growing up and finances. And so I, I'm not, I'm not, <laughs> I don't know if I'm making any sense. Yeah, no, totally, totally. But, you know, you have to daily get on your knees and say, okay, uh, I need strength uh, to, to stay firm in what I know is right. Hmm. And, uh, you know, those are the kinds of things that uh, you can only get by going inward and upward. We started off our show today with a segment we call Council of Many. And uh, this week, a mother wanted to know if it's okay to kick her teenage daughter out of the house or would that make her a bad mother? Because this teenager, uh, older teen girl, had just gone ballistic and ended up hitting her and, and fighting with her and really being totally rebellious against the police in the town as well. And it was just bringing down the whole atmosphere of the house. And, and I said during that segment, you know, the single moms out there, they've just got to play all the roles. They were not designed to play all the roles. And, no. and so the guilt thing comes in, and oh, you know what I mean. I think you you well, just spoke you, to you it. Well, you can't you can't allow it. The, the the biggest thing that I have learned is, and and I I still like I said I don't know anything. Good grief, you know this is just you know life of Marie. But um, when your child can yell at you and scream at you and say you're a lousy mother and all these kinds of things, if you can stand firm, get your feet planted, and know who you are, those things can't hurt you. You know, if they're hurting you, then somewhere inside of you, you still don't know who you are. And you need, you need to just say, of course, you know, you want your child to love you. But remember, you're the adult. And that's what I told my kid. You know, you can say all you want, but I'm sorry, you're not my equal. You know, you're not my, you're not my marriage partner. You're my child. And I am the adult. And so you, there are times where you just have to be the adult. And that's what, you know, and, and be okay with that and drawing those, those strong boundaries. Hmm. And you don't need to yell at your child. You don't need to scream at them. You don't need to demean them. If, if you have to do that, then you've got to look inward and see where you're not whole yet as a person. But, but you do have to stand firm and say, I love you, and, you know, I understand, but that's not going to change my decision. You know, this is what it is. And, and I think that when you get to that place, anyway, that's what my, my mother taught me. 
is, you know, you can't, you can't beat yourself up. You have to know who you are and know that you are the adult. They're not your equal. I'm sorry, but they're not. <laughs> and I think as single mothers, sometimes we, we don't know where to go, and so we talk about things with our kids. It's none of their business. They're the child, you know? And, 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 and they cannot feel that they're, they have to realize that they still are the child, and they need to have that respect for their parents. You go, girlfriend. <laughs> uh, by the way, that, you know that clip we played earlier? Do you, do you recognize that? Do you remember where? I have no clue where that was. That was you on the Tony Tennille show. Oh, wow. I didn't know she had a show. <laughs> That's no, I'm a... kidding. <laughs> <laughs> That's like forever ago. Wow. Yeah, yeah you were 21. But I, you were, I'm, seriously, you had a whole lot of, you had some chutzpah going on back then as well, dear. <laughs> You're funny. <laughs> One afternoon after Brian had left the tour, as I was putting on makeup for a show, I overheard my oldest son, Stephen, talking to his sisters about our marriage. He said, I really believe that you have to work at marriage, but I would rather make a good marriage really great than try to make a bad marriage good. It was painful to hear my son's assessment of the marriage, but his honesty gave me a new perspective. With respect to my parents' advice to never give up, I would now add my own experienced adage. Never give up yourself in order to try to make someone else happy. It doesn't work. I know change is possible, but I've, I've learned that it will only last if you want it for yourself first. In good marriages, compromises are made so you can both stay happy, not just so the other person will stay happy. Tremendous little quote from your book. Oh, you're sweet. I am. But it is. It's like, you know, if you... I, I'm, a, I'm a study of religion. I study every religion. And one of the things that I was reading in, in the uh, ancient temple of Solomon, there were two pillars that you would walk through the entranceway. And one was Uma and Ama, meaning male and female. And the, the uh, symbolism of that meant that one cannot lean on the other that you both must be equal. Um, and it talks about being equally yoked. You know, when oxen were pulling, if the oxen didn't pull equally, it would break, uh, you know, the, the bar between them, that, that uh, yoke. And it's the same in marriage. You, you need to believe in the same things and want the same things and have the same values and ideals. Otherwise, it's dysfunctional. And, and it, it goes down to the next generation as dysfunctional. You know, the studying of religion stuff you just mentioned here, I, I'd like to finish this interview with a really light question. Um, what do you believe? <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I believe that your religion should make you happy, that um, I, I don't base anything in fear. You know, when it says to fear God, if you go back to the Hebrew word fear, it means to have a reverence, a respect, an awe. It doesn't mean to be afraid of God. And any religion that makes you afraid of going to hell is not, is not the kind of religion that will get you to heaven. Because we, we have to do it through love, not force and fear. And so, you know, I, my, my faith is, uh, I believe that, um, you know, we are children, literal children of, of our Father in heaven. That we were created in the likeness of our God. That we're not just, He's not just a big gas out there, but, um, you know, literally our father in heaven and the experiences that we have here um you know bring us back to him but you know my my faith i'm not a member of the church of jesus christ Latter saints because my parents were i'm a little bit like abigail i'm a little too stubborn for that (laughs) (laughs) and that's why i love her so much but uh you know i'm i'm a member of my faith because i choose to be because i've studied them all and it gives me the answers to my questions like 
you know, why am I here and what is this life about and, and after this life, you know, where are we all going? And it answers those questions for me. Uh, our next guest, uh, after we say goodbye to you, is a young lady named Rachel. She's 37 years old, wife, mother of two young children, and uh, she's just recently been diagnosed with terminal cancer, and uh, the outlook is not good. Um, so I'm going to be asking her questions like, you know, what is it like to possibly be facing your last Mother's Day with your, your husband and kids? You know, what kind of things do you spiritually wrestle with? When, when right. do you when do you stop praying for healing, or, or do you ever stop praying for for healing? And I think, first of all, I'm really looking forward to hearing her answers on this stuff because uh, you know you are Marie Osmond. You have traveled the world thousands of times. You are uh, you know a big star wherever you go. But even you have limited knowledge and understanding. Dare I say this? Of 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 what those kind of life circumstances push us towards and away from because i'm not sure i have i've done a lot of research on you marie but have you faced any uh, potential sort of end of life scenarios yeah i have um uh i have uh, there's a lot of things that people don't know about me um and that's you know when when you when you think about you know is my life uh, you know, what is this thing going on inside of my body or whatever it is? You know, I, I can't speak for this woman. I can't even imagine um, what she must be feeling. What do I want to leave with my children? You know, what, what do, how do I want them to remember their mother? Um, I, I have lost a couple girlfriends uh, to cancer hmm. and uh, to see what they had to go through. Um, you know, death is something, whether it's brought on by cancer or whatever, it's it's a, a difficult thing. But um, especially leaving children behind, I mean, that, that would be one of the ultimate tests to me, you know. Um, I don't know. You just, you pray. The thing is, is that's why I say your your belief system is, is very important. And, and hopefully she has a strong belief in, in her Father in Heaven and in the plan of salvation and why we're here and the purpose of this life. And I think... You know, one of the things I love about my beliefs is I know we'll all be together again. Family, the, the same family we have here will be the same relationships there. I'll leave you with a little story. Um, my manager, um, there's a, he, his cousin who I know very well. Do you remember the bombings that happened down in, um, oh, where was it, Wyoming or whatever it was? They did a movie of the week on it about this, this bomber who strapped some uh, bombs to himself and he went into an elementary school. Uh, I know this lady. And uh, she was saying how um, she had two daughters in this school, five and six. And she said that um, these children were saying that people in white were telling them to stand over in the corner of the room. And so the teachers, she was one of the teachers, they all gathered in, in one of these corners. Long story short, uh, the bomber took his bomb off and put it on his girlfriend. And he went in to go to the restroom and she lifted her hands up to wipe her head off and that's how the bomb went off. But what was interesting is when they did the report on it, um, the bomb blew out in every direction but this one corner. And the children said that these people in white lined, were standing in front of them in a line to protect them. Now, in the movie of the week, it said some people claim they saw angels, and that's all they said. This, this friend of mine, she was telling me she loves genealogy, and she has this book on, on her table of pictures of her, her grandparents and great-grandparents and all this. Well, her little five-year-old was looking through pictures, and she said, Mommy, that's the lady who told me where to stand. Oh, come on. She got all kind of emotional. She took the five-year-old out of the room and brought in her six-year-old and said, Honey, do you recognize anybody in this book? And the six-year-old stopped at the exact same photo and said, Mommy, that's the lady who told us come where to stand, on. only she wasn't wearing glasses. It was her great-grandma. 
so of course there's life after. There's no question in my mind. And and uh, there's too many stories. There's too many things like this that are not coincidence. You know what I mean? And so we will all see each other again. Why would we spend our lives loving our children and our relationships and our families and things like that if it wasn't to continue, you know, into the great eternal family of God? And so, you know, those are the things I believe. And, and you know, I, I don't want to push my beliefs on anybody, but I'm telling you that... Uh, there is no way that I'm not going to see my mother and father again. On a daily basis, Drew, I feel my mother's presence. You know, I feel my father's. And in, in decisions I'm making financially, in, in things that I feel like, even in just simple ways of what would my mother do, and I do it. And so, uh, you know, family is fantastic. It's the best thing in the world. We can choose our friends, but we cannot choose our family. And get along with your family, you can get along with anybody. <laughs> it's the truth. Well said. Well said. Well, the book is called Might As Well Laugh About It Now. Well, this wasn't a very humorous interview, okay? Oh, listen. We had some We had some good chuckles. Some good chuckles. No, we covered it all. We covered it all. No. You know what? You know what? I've come to the conclusion that I really like you. Oh, well, you're awfully nice. Well, thank you. <laughs> I'm kind of a fun hang. You are. You are, you are definitely a fun hang. Listen, Marie, thank you very, very much. I really appreciate you sharing your guts oh, with us. Oh, you're so sweet. Well, I'm... I'm honored that you would consider me for your show. I, I appreciate that. All right, Marie. Uh, speaking of shows, uh, it's on with the show tonight, I guess? Yes, it is. Good Absolutely. stuff. Absolutely. Donnie Marie in Las Vegas. You want to go to marieosmond.com. You want to buy some dolls. You want to buy some books. Uh, she's got it all, folks. <laughs> I'm waiting for you to come out with some, some cooking device, you know? Oh, oh wait, wait till you see what I'm coming out with. Oh, oh my man. goodness. I'm oh. so excited. <laughs> and I have my own line of fabrics and sewing machines oh. and all kinds of things, because so, I love to sew. <laughs> You're amazing. That's another interview. <laughs> Thanks, Marie. Good to chat with you. All right. Bye-bye. Right, Bye-bye. <laughs> oh, boy. Fun lady, Marie Osmond. Have a listen to her singing her old, old tune, Paper Roses, here on the Drew Marshall Show. When we come back, it's our journey segment. Get ready, folks. This is going to mess with your heart. Like what you've heard? Listen again online at drewmarshall.ca.